Good morning, church. So good to see you in the house this morning. And we're continuing our series uh, entitled Unnamed, looking at some of the unnamed characters in the Bible. And the premise is this. These are ordinary people who make an extraordinary difference. And this morning, we're going to be looking at John chapter 4, and specifically the woman at the well. I'm going to read the text, John 4, verses 5 to 10. So he, he being Jesus, came to a town in Samaria called Sakar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone to the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. God bless the reading of his words. Let's pray together this morning, church. Lord, we thank you for your word that says that by your light, we see light. And today, in the name of Jesus, as we open up your word, we pray that you would drench us in your light and that we would see by your light. Lord, we pray that you guide us to truth and that you guide us to yourself. Lord, we ask this morning that you would reveal your character and your nature to us in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. You know, the more I look at my school experience, I come to understand that school is kind of a pretty brutal place for a kid, isn't it? School has an amazing way of separating groups of people into groups of insiders and groups of outsiders. You guys understand the insiders are the people who have their crew, right? They have their clique. They fit into school. But the outsiders are those who are on the periphery, those who feel like they don't quite belong, those who feel like they don't quite fit in. And you need to know today that in my time at school, I had an opportunity to be both an insider and also an outsider. I probably peaked about year six. Year six was my pinnacle year at school. When we lined up to pick sports teams, I was assured of being in the top three because I had a crew, right? I had a clique. I was on the inside, but flash forward to intermediate and I had moved very firmly from right in the inside to right on the outside. So much so that I remember my teacher actually sat my mum down uh, before I went into intermediate school and she said, listen, don't send Haley to that intermediate because my teacher recognized what I did not, that if I went, I was going to be on the outside. But of course, I had no ears. I didn't listen. And then I had two very, very interesting years at intermediate school. Because the reality is this, everyone in this room at some stage has probably had the experience of what it feels like to be an outsider. We all know what it feels like to, to stand on the margins, to not be in the center, to feel like at some stage we don't fit in. In a room like this, I'm speaking to not one, but to everyone. Sometimes we feel like we're an outsider in our workplace. Sometimes we feel like we're an outsider in your place of education, be it school or university. Sometimes we feel like an outsider in our family. Friend, let's get real. Sometimes we feel like an outsider at church. We come to church and we don't feel righteous enough or pure enough or holy enough or good enough to fit in. And so we, uh, we distance ourselves from the person of Jesus. We exclude ourselves from the place of community. Sometimes we come to a place like this and we feel like we don't know enough. We don't look at the world 
lives the right way. And it's a horrible feeling, isn't it? To feel like you're on the outskirts of something that you want to be in the center of. See, being an outsider is an incredibly relatable feeling. And so today, what I want to do is I want to look at how Jesus treats outsiders. Because in this text, John chapter 4, we find the Samaritan woman who you better believe is like the ultimate outsider. And so this text is instructive of how Jesus treats those of us who sometimes feel like we're on the outskirts. We sometimes feel like we don't fit in. It says that Jesus arrives at a well in Samaria at noon. There he meets a woman. When he meets the woman, he engages her in conversation. He asks for a drink of water. And they have a wide-ranging conversation, much of which I can't delve into today. And they talk about many things, but among which he reveals the extent of her brokenness. He reveals the extent of her sin. He reveals the extent of her pain. He says, you've had five husbands, and the man that you're living with right now is not someone that you're married to. And then after that, Jesus reveals who he is. He reveals to her that he is the Messiah, the one sent by God to save the world from their sins. Very interestingly, this is the only time in the Gospel of John prior to the trial of Jesus that Jesus reveals that he is the Messiah to someone, and he reveals it to a little old Samaritan woman sitting at a well. Far out. How good is our God? See, this story actually forms a pair of stories, a pair of stories, kind of twin stories, and the story that it twins with is actually in John chapter 3. And John chapter 3 tells the story of Jesus meeting with an insider. If it's Jesus meeting with an outsider at the well, John chapter 3 tells the story of Jesus meeting with an insider. He meets with the teacher Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a Pharisee. He's a member of the Jewish council. It's called the Sanhedrin. And they sit and they have a conversation much like he has with the Samaritan woman. In both of these conversations, a number of things happen. Jesus teaches both the Samaritan woman and Nicodemus. He shows how the Jewish institutions and traditions are being fulfilled by himself. In both of the stories, he uses earthly truths to represent spiritual realities. And in both the stories, both Nicodemus and the Samaritan woman get confused. But here's the thing. He is contrasting Jesus' interaction with an insider with Jesus' interaction with an outsider. Nicodemus is named. The Samaritan woman is unnamed. Nicodemus is an Israelite. This woman is a Samaritan. Nicodemus is a man. The Samaritan woman is, hello, a woman. It's kind of in her title. But very interestingly, Nicodemus is considered righteous. The Samaritan woman is considered wildly unrighteous in this society. But here's the fascinating thing. Jesus meets with the inside of Nicodemus at midnight in dark. He meets with the outsider, the Samaritan woman, at noon in the full light of day. You need to understand that in the Gospel of John, light and dark are very important concepts. And here Jesus is meeting with the insider at night and meeting with the outsider in the full light of day. The narratives end very, very differently. The one with the inside of Nicodemus, it just shuts off abruptly. But the one with the Samaritan woman ends with Jesus revealing that he is the Messiah. She goes into her village and tells everyone, come and see the man who has told me everything about my life. 
And it finishes with the people in the Samaritan region proclaiming Jesus as a savior of the world. Come on, somebody. See, this is the story of an insider and an outsider. And friend, if you're in this place today and you would all resonate with what it feels like to be an outsider, let's look at the Samaritan woman because she feels like an outsider on a number of levels. Firstly, she's an outsider to the people of God because of her ethnicity. She's, she's a Samaritan. And we talk about this a lot in church, but what does it really mean that she was a Samaritan? Well, Samaria was uh, the capital of the northern kingdom of Israel. So they were once true Israelites. They were once the true people of God. They're part of God's chosen people, but because of repeated disobedience, they're invaded by another kingdom. And what happens is that the Israelites there, once it's invaded, they marry or they um, have children with their invaders. And so their, uh, their uh, relationships become mixed. Their religion becomes mixed. They were once Jews, but now they only accept the first five books of the Jewish scriptures. Instead of going to Jerusalem to worship at the holy place of the temple, they have their own holy site. And so their faith has become mixed. They're kind of on the outskirts of Judaism, but they're not really in the center. And there's incredible animosity, hostility between Jews and Samaritans for that very reason. It got so bad that actually Samaritans took corpses, bones into the Jewish temple in order to desecrate it. Like the hostility between these two people is immense. This woman, by very nature of her language, her culture, her history, her attitude, represents everything that the Jewish people are against. And so if a first century reader was reading the story, they would not have expected the Samaritan woman and Jesus to acknowledge each other, let alone have a conversation. See, to the people of God, this woman is an ethnic outsider, but she's also a social outsider. And this is on account of her gender. She's a woman. And in 2022, it's pretty easy for us to gloss over this, isn't it? It's pretty easy for us to fail to see the significance of it, but you need to understand that women being an outsider is a felt reality for every woman in this day and age. Wells, which is the backdrop of this whole story, was one of the only socially acceptable places for women to go. And so because of it, this is like their coffee shop. This is where the women went together to hang out because it's one of the only socially accepted places for them to go. Men are not meant to speak to women in public, even if it's their wife or sister. Single men aren't meant to speak to women at all. In fact, Jewish wise men would write works and they'd say things like this, don't talk to a woman in case you get tempted or in case someone gets the wrong idea. And here's Jesus, come on somebody, sitting at a well, knowingly stepping over every social boundary in order to engage this woman with the knowledge of who he is. She's a social outsider. It's interesting actually because, because of the fact that wells were one of the only places that women could go, it was actually a common place for like a proposal, right? Even in the Bible, like wells were the places where men were like, yep, you know what? I want to pop the question. I'm going to take her to a pretty well, you know? This is what men thought. <laughs> like what's the prettiest well in the land? You know, this is where we're going. Even in the Bible, it's a common place of proposal. And because of this, and because of the fact that Jesus is stepping over all these barriers, these boundaries, some scholars suggest that actually the Samaritan woman thinks that Jesus is propositioning her. Like when she responds, I have no husband, it's not I have no husband, it's like I have no husband. You know, like, 
being at the well at noon. She's a social outsider, not just that. She's a religious outsider. Get this. All Samaritan women are considered unclean to Jews. All Samaritan women. And actually, so Jews, some Jews were so extreme with this that they thought that even if a Samaritan came to your village, you could just be unclean because you might have unknowingly come into contact with Samaritan spittle. And here Jesus is asking to share a cup with this woman. An act that in that moment would have rendered him unclean in the eyes of other Jews. Now that's a lot of information, but let me draw a conclusion. This woman is the ultimate outsider, ethically, socially, religiously, and even morally as we're going to see, she is an outsider. And yet here Jesus is showing that there is no barrier that he will not break through in order to reach the one who is on the outside. The story is shouting to anyone who feels on the outside, you need to know that your Jesus will not let any barrier stop him in pursuit of your soul. See, to the one in this place who has felt like there may be the wrong culture or the wrong ethnicity, you need to believe that Jesus is the God of all nations and there is no ethnic barrier that he will not break through in order to get to you. To the one in this place who has felt like a social outcast, you felt because of your brokenness or because of what you've been through that you are on the outskirts of society, left behind and forgotten. You need to meet the Jesus who will not let any, any, any social barrier stop him in order to get to you. To those of you in this place who have felt like a religious outsider, come on, you've stepped into organized religion and you haven't felt good enough or smart enough. You haven't felt like you've fitted in. Meet the Jesus who will not let any religious barrier stop him in pursuit of your soul. This is the Jesus that we sing about. This is the Jesus that we worship. The Jesus who will not let anything stop him in pursuit of your soul. See, John 4, 2 says something incredible. It says this, and it's not going to sound incredible when I say it, but bear with me, okay? John 4, 2. Now he had to go through Samaria. Wow. <laughs> Amazing. Now he had to go through Samaria. And the incredibly thing about that, incredibly, the incredible thing about that verse is that geographically it's untrue. Geographically, that's not true. There were other routes from Judea to Galilee. And actually, the route that they're taking is not the route that was most popular for a Jewish person. And you can kind of see why, can't you? No Jew would have wanted to go through Samaria. It's not that he had to go through Samaria because it was the only geographical route. He had to go through Samaria because it was the will of the Father. It is the will of the Father that no barrier stands between you and His Son, Jesus. Let's move on to verse 5 and 6. Now he came to a town in Samaria called Sakar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was, sat down by the well, and it was about noon. Now that detail about it being noon, as I've previously said, is a really important one. Noon was the hottest hour of the day. And now remember I said that there's limited social opportunities for women in this society. 
And so, you know, they were like, hey, girl, let's gather the girls together. You know, they're on the group thread. Guys, we're going to the well. Do you want to go? You know, sorry, that amuses me. I don't often amuses you, but anyway, I'm not going to stay on it. Anyway, they're like, hey, let's get the girls together. Let's go to the well, you know, get water. Amazing. And so they would go to the well together and they'd chat and they'd connect and they'd catch up. That was what the ladies did together. And we have girls' night out now and events, but the ladies went to the well, you know. And But they wouldn't go to the well at the hottest part of the day, right? Because it's not a good time to go and collect water if it's incredibly hot. And so the ladies would gather to go to the well in the morning and in the evening when it was cool. Because it's the heat of the day, And because it's noon and the Samaritan woman is here by herself, this tells us something. It tells us that this woman is not just an outsider to the Jewish people. She is an outsider to her own people because she has the reputation for being an immoral woman. She has been shunned by the other Samaritan women. And this hour of the day, more than any other, reveals the reality of her situation. You know, I wonder if the other hours of the day she could forget what the reality of her situation is, but every day as the clock ticked towards noon and she had to go to the well by herself, noon was the hour that exposed her isolation. Noon was the hour that exposed her exclusion. Noon was the hour that more than any other exposed the reality of what her brokenness and her sin cost her. And when no one else would go to the well with her at noon, Jesus waits and meets her there. I pray you know the Savior who meets you at your well at noon when no one else will. I pray you come to know the friend who meets you in the middle of your mess. I pray you come to know the Savior who is there when no one else will be. Friend, when you are at your well at noon, I pray you look up and you find your Jesus sitting there. Because he is not the Savior who ignores you in your mess. He's the Savior who meets you there when no one else will. I'm going to get the band to come, otherwise who knows if I'll finish on time. I haven't done this for a while, so I've got a lot to say, you know. (laughs) Now, if the hour of the day exposes the Samaritan woman, her conversation with Jesus exposes her even more. Check this out, John 4, 16 to 26. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're all right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five. And the man you now have is not your husband. What you've just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. She's asking if she's excluded from religion because they're not allowed to go up to Jerusalem. She's saying, is this faith including me? Or is this faith excluding me? Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come 
when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God has spirit, and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. And the woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. She doesn't even see yet. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, am he. As I read this passage, I'm struck with the fact that Jesus is doing all the work. (laughs) He's the one who comes to Samaria. He's the one who places himself at the well at noon. He's the one who engages her and asks for a drink of water. He's the one who goes on to a conversation about the pain and brokenness and sin of her situation. And he's the one who reveals himself to her at the end. Jesus is doing astonishing a lot, astonishingly a lot. And the woman is doing very, very little. And hear me today, friend, that's the nature of grace. It's God's work. It's God's choosing. It's God's initiation. It's God's completion. He does it all. But if you're here today and that idea of being an outsider resonates with you and you want something practical that perhaps you can do, I think there's one thing from the Samaritan woman that we can learn. Through it all, through feeling like an outsider, to feeling like her sin has been exposed, she manages to do just one thing. This is all she does. She stays in the conversation. That's it. She stays in the conversation with Jesus. Let me put it another way. She stays in the light. And if you're here today and you feel like an outsider, if you feel like an outsider to the things of faith for whatever reason, perhaps ethnic, social, or religious like this woman, I'm asking you just one thing. Please stay in the conversation. Please stay in touch, in communion, in prayer with Jesus. Please just do this one thing and just stay in the light. And friend, listen, you don't even need to do a good job of staying in the conversation. This Samaritan woman certainly didn't. There are times in this conversation where she's disrespectful. There are times when she's contentious. There are times when even she's deflective. She's disrespectful in her response when he asks for a water. She's contentious when she brings up like the biggest issue that there was between Jews and Samaritans. It's like she's trying to pick a fight with Jesus. She's deflective when he reveals her sin, but she does one thing. She stays. She stays in the conversation. She stays in the light. And she comes to understand that the same light which exposes her sin will also be the light that reveals her salvation. Because it's by the noon light that she is exposed. And it's by the noon light that she sees her Saviour. Friend, you might have been coming to church and you're like, I don't like the sermon part. Because whoever gets up on this platform, it's like they're reading my mail. They are exposing me. How do they know what I'm going for? And you're getting edgy. You're getting uncomfortable. Maybe you even picked an argument in the cafe. That's cool. I'm just asking you one thing. Just stay in the conversation. Stay in the light. Because I can promise you that by the same light your sin is revealed, your Savior will be as well. It ends by saying in verse 
verse 26, Jesus tells her, he says, then Jesus declared, I the one speaking to you, I am he, I'm the Messiah. And I love where this is placed in the story because all these things have been revealed about this woman, her sin, her brokenness, her falling short. And Jesus in full knowledge, having shown that he is in the possession of full knowledge of everything that she is, not just the part that she's brushed up to look pretty. Jesus, in full knowledge of the reality of her falling short, the reality of her brokenness, the reality of her pain, the reality of the fact that she's an outsider. Jesus, showing that he is in possession of full knowledge of who he's speaking to you. He reveals the full knowledge of who he is. And how this is rendered in the Greek is quite incredible. He phrases it like this. He says, I am who speaks to you. I am is the sacred name of God that God revealed to Moses in the book of Exodus. Remember that the Samaritans had the book of Exodus, so it's one of the names of God that she would have been familiar with. And he says, I am who speaks to you. And friend, I want you to know today that Jesus in full knowledge of where you've fallen short, in full knowledge of your pain, in full knowledge of your brokenness, is still the one who speaks to you. Still the one who chooses you. He's still the one who hears you. He's still the one who sees you. He is still the one who hears and heals and saves you. And so you need to know today that the great I am who breaks down all barriers in pursuit of your soul is still the one in this place who is calling to you. And so with every eye closed and every head bowed, if you're in this place and you need to receive Jesus, I pray that you hear his call. I pray you know the one who steps over every barrier in pursuit of you. I pray you still know the one who has come and he knows exactly who you are and calls you by name. And so if you're in this place and you need to respond to the call of Jesus, if you've been walking your own way, if you've been dead in your brokenness and sin, today the great I am is saying, I am who is still speaking to you. And so if that's you and you want to respond to his call today, I'm going to count to three, and at the end of it, I just ask that you raise your hand. One, two, three. Thank you. God bless you. I see that hand. Thank you. God bless you. I see that hand. Is there anyone else you want to make that decision today? Thank you. God bless you. I see that hand. Awesome. You can put your hand down if you've put it up. Church, repeat this prayer after me. Say, dear Jesus, I confess I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. Today, I give my life to Jesus, holding nothing back. I turn from sin. I follow you. Thanks to you, I'm free. In Jesus' name, amen.